the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. And welcome to part two of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics features our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. And And to Bill. And joining us this week for uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, former counsel to the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee and author of Twilight of Empire, W.H. Wise Carver. Bill, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks. Um, the, uh, let's see. Oh, here it is. An attorney for Leanne Schechter-Smith, the only state employee fired because of the Flint water crisis, says she feels vindicated by a $300,000 settlement announced Friday, November 5th by the Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. Eagle said it will make the payment as part of a settlement agreement with the former division chief in its Office of Drinking Water and Municipal Assistance. Do you think this was a wrongful termination? Hmm. Well, you know, uh, I, I I question uh, some of the the ethics and the antics that was used since day one. Um, but I only really criticize the change of the information. The other stuff is always nebulous. Yeah, I, I agree with Henry. Yeah, there. I, I, was she was she one of the ones who changed the modified the information or changed it? In some I don't way? remember. Neither but do that's I. That's the ugly part. Yeah. But maybe she didn't. We haven't seen all of the evidence yet. Nobody's come up to see that she didn't. But but it was the wrong thing to do. But if she did, if it's proven that she did not change the information, I think they got it right. Well, former Governor Rick Snyder's public health director says he can't be charged with manslaughter for his role in the Flint water crisis because he owed no personal duty to individual citizens of the state. 
Nick Lyon, the former director of the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, makes the claim in a motion to dismiss the 10 charges he's facing in Genesee Circuit Court the second time he's asked Judge Elizabeth Kelly to throw out the pending nine counts of involuntary manslaughter and one count of willful neglect of duty. All of the charges are tied to deaths attributed to outbreaks of Legionnaire's disease in the Flint area during the water crisis in 2014 and 2015. If it's determined that Lyon is not responsible, who is? <laughs> hmm. You're not asking people. us this question after 10 years. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it sure feels <laughs> like it, doesn't it, Henry? It. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Maybe we didn't get it right the first time, and I was I was really uh, kind of vocal at that time that we didn't get it right because you had to hold the people locally accountable under the law. They were there, and we just passed it on upstream. Nothing got really resolved quickly. Although you know, I'm thinking here in terms of a manslaughter charge uh, for the Legionnaire situation. And I'm wondering whether or not that's a bit over the top. And I'm thinking here, if the state fails to uh, to repair a road and there's you know potholes all over the place, mm-hmm. and somebody gets in a car accident and gets killed, could you charge the uh, either the governor or the director of the, uh, the Department of Transportation with manslaughter because they failed to re- to fill a pothole someplace? I don't know. I. Uh, um, I, I, I the legal concept about overreach. Go ahead, Bill. The, the legal concept of, of uh, manslaughter is, of course, and I would agree with Paul. That might be an overreach, but for this person, and, and of course, I don't know all the facts either. But for this person to say he did not owe a duty—that's <laughs> a pretty outrageous is, statement, isn't it, Bill? Is the, is the height of hypocrisy and the height of of just dereliction of duty to to the nth degree and um, you know of course there again i'm only looking at this from the outside but sure. that uh that all of those people weren't <laughs> didn't go to the nuremberg uh, war tr- uh crime <laughs> crimes against humanity it's you know i mean but manslaughter eh, you know that might be a little bit over the top but gross negligence yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think that, that that's that's more appropriate from my yeah. perspective. I, I would totally agree with you, and and that person's response was um, is enough to really throw me into a lower orbit, and I hope I hope the the citizens of Flint do the same. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty outrageous statement. Well, yeah. Michigan State Police said State Representative. Um, Mary Manugin denied Representative Steve Marino ever physically harmed her, but a statement Manujan filed with a court days after speaking with police outlines a specific allegation of physical abuse. Marino also initially told police Manujan, with whom he'd uh, previously had a romantic relationship, never asked him to stop texting her until September. However, text messages he later provided to police show Mnuchin repeatedly asked him to stop contacting her weeks earlier. These two discrepancies are included in Michigan State Police files tied to a criminal investigation after Mnuchin accused Marino in September of physical, verbal, and emotional abuse. 
Ingham County prosecutors relied on those files to determine early last week there was not enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Marino criminally stalked or harassed Mnuchin. Marino has denied any misconduct. Does the Michigan State Police investigate breakups, or is that a state representative thing? (laughs) (laughs) Funny. I, you know, I'm serious about this. You know, we've we talk about how we turn things political so much of the time, but you know, in this in this cancel culture that we live in, you know, a, a, a breakup becomes you know newsworthy in some way. I, do you remember? Yeah. Um, now, Bill, this is a little bit inside baseball, but three or four, maybe five years ago. There were two state representatives, male and female, who who had an affair. But some of the things that the guy did to cover it up became so outrageous. I I, I mean, you know, faking getting beat up and outside a gay bar. I I mean, it just it just got silly. And I remember talking to the guy who broke the story about some of the email stuff that went on on state computers and and the investigation that was going on into these two and their antics. And um, it was uh, Chad Livingood. And he said he'd been hearing about the affair for months, but it wasn't news to him until these outrageous things that that Todd Courser did to to Mm -hmm. cover up his... his, uh, relationship with Cindy Gamrat and you know I thought why why isn't that appropriate in this case you know for the for the state police to go wait a minute we don't investigate breakups yeah and there it is Is unless there's criminal activity here I don't know I mean if there was a Physical abuse, I suppose. But is you know, but kind. does but does you know, drunk dialing your text or your ex in the middle of the night? That's not. You know, I does, does that a crime. qualify as a crime by today's so. standards? Yeah, I th- I think there there again, it, it's the you know you you can blame it on the media or the cancel culture you know, but people are interested in these you know in scandals instead of what's going on and i would totally agree with tom's assessment that that these are these are not legal things these are not things that i i think the the people of michigan uh, even really need to know about let alone care about and uh was there harm done was was something you know was somebody to the state funds lose of lose a million dollars did you know but to have to waste police assets on something that sounds to me like a spat between two people with no harm done, no violence, and nothing else is, is ludicrous. And Bill, uh, you've convinced me. So. You have convinced yeah. me. I didn't know where I was on that, that issue. But I think you've convinced me uh, just by the very notion that the public was not injured. If the yeah, public there's, was not there's injured, no there's no okay. violence there. Yeah, there's no case. There it is. Yeah, and and the other the other side of that is the next question. I think there again, the citizens of Michigan and Flint should be asking is is why are we spending money on 
public assets, such as the police, investigating this. That's a sad state of affairs. And I think it also becomes a distraction from the more serious business of the legislature. I mean, these are kind of funny stories to 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 watch or to, to read, I suppose, but they really are a distraction from the more serious business. Absolutely. Well, it it just struck me as odd because the things that they were talking about, it just, it just reminds me of that line, Ray Stevens, I, I, I play his uh, take on the pandemic every once in a while, and he's got a little riff he does uh, toward the end of the song when he says, uh, yeah, he says, <laughs> I, I said to my wife, uh, I, I meant to say pass the sugar, and what came out was, you crazy woman, you ruined my life. <laughs> and, 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 and then he talks about, you know, you know, he apologized after he regained consciousness. But, <laughs> but you know, is, is that something you call the Michigan State Police about? <laughs> I know? don't think so. No. <laughs> Anyway, it just seemed, uh, I, I don't know, that one That one almost makes the X-Files, but... Uh, yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's be a, a good place for a story like that, I think. Except, except it really bothered me that there was, a, you know, a Michigan State Police. Well, it sounds like Michigan State Police and um, also uh, Ingham County. The Ingham County prosecutors got involved in this. Mm. <coughs> and... I don't know. I've I've had some pretty ugly breakups, but it never involved the county or the police. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't bring out the National Guard, right? <laughs> no. No. You know, Andy Warhol once said 15 minutes of fame. Everybody gets 15 minutes. I, I think the, mm -hmm. the newest version is 15 seconds of fame. So this is these people's. <clears throat> few seconds of fame. I, I don't. I have well, in this idea. in this day and age, it's it's forty five characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's about it. Yeah. This this is the stuff of uh, you know viral tweets and Facebook memes, not uh, Michigan State Police investigations. Is why I brought it up. Um, we've got about a uh, minute and a half before we go to break, and then we've got some some national and international things to talk about uh and of course the uh, x-files coming up in just a little bit but it is always such a pleasure to have these conversations with uh with the three of you um paul and and henry our regulars we missed you last week henry it was fun having george we did it we did the show uh live from the new mccree theater and uh, of course, Henry went to hell with us the week before. We <laughs> <laughs> we did the show from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan. But uh, by the way, I was going to say before we take a break, we should wish you I uh, wish Tom a uh, belated happy birthday. Oh well, thank you. Well, yeah, that. well, happy birthday, Tom. Well, you know, it's funny. I had my birthday uh, Sunday, and and I have a uh, Facebook fundraiser going on at the same time, and I couldn't help noticing I I weighed through and tried to acknowledge over four hundred birthday messages, and the fundraiser got twenty two contributions, <laughs> and, and, and I, I wish I could. I wish I could figure. Tom, out I a, have to send mine in. I, I oh, have to send no, mine no. in, but I I was uh, you know I had my surgery and. I didn't. I didn't bring that up to put you on the spot. No, but Henry, at but all. I I didn't couldn't remember when I gave you one the day of uh, we were in hell, 
And you know, never know what happens when you're in hell. Well, you never know what's going on in hell. Well, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to Washington up next. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined this week by uh, author Bill Weiscarver. Uh, election night in America has turned into the electoral version of the Super Bowl. I, I know uh, <laughs> Paul agrees with that. <laughs> we t- we've talked about that a couple of times. Um, you know what, what I'm talking about. We order pizza, make popcorn, and wait right. for a winner to be projected <clears throat> every presidential contest. Uh, last week in uh, Virginia's gubernatorial contest, the stakes weren't nearly as high as they were last year, but election nerds did the same thing, with this contest potentially signaling a lot about the political environment heading into the 2022 midterms, in part because of laws requiring absentee ballots to be pre-processed long before Election Day. Uh, We're hopeful for a relatively quick count. How did we do this year? Uh, I think the results were in all pretty quick by, I'm going to say, about the 11 o'clock news. We, we, the, well, no, correction, New Jersey was, was delayed by a bill because it was so close. Well, yeah, that one was too close to call. Well, yeah. you know, elections are always on Tuesdays, and we do armchair politics on Wednesdays, and we talked about the election uh, yeah. last week at um, uh, the New McCree Theater, but we really ended up dedicating the whole show to the local election, talking about uh, some of the trends in the city council races and so on. But the results were all in. When we did the show, it was still too close to call. That's in, right. In That's Jersey. right. But I, yeah, I, th- I think the local stuff was done by, I'm going to say by, by 11 o'clock or midnight. Because I, I did a brief story for East Village Magazine, and I, I, yeah, I did it before I went to bed the night before, which is a little unusual. Sometimes those things can go on until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, it was a, it was a small election. It was an um, off-year election, as, as they say. I mean, there's presidential elections and midterms, and then the off-years. Um, but were there any reports of, of any mini-frauds? <laughs> None that I heard of. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, uh, the one thing I haven't seen yet, I have not seen the official total for the write-ins, just for curiosity. I mean, there were a lot of, uh, of uh, undervotes that I assume were meant to be write-ins, but there were no names attached when I last looked at the, uh, the website. I assume at some point the, the write-in candidates will find out how many votes they actually got, but none of them were competitive in any meaningful sense. Well, I and that was never to be, be be predicted. Yeah, I mean, writing campaigns yeah. are very tough to pull off. Well, I was a little surprised that there wasn't a little... I was surprised that one of the write-ins didn't get through, quite honestly. Well, yeah. And for Bill's yeah. edification, we're talking about the Flint City Council election where six new members were elected, but there, were, there was a write-in candidate in six of the nine wards. And, I and several of them were, were running really serious campaigns. I mean, they had yard signs, and, and they had you know, flyers out. And they, you know, some writings just kind of do it on a lark and say, well, if you want to vote for me, fine. 
But these, uh, several of those individuals really put together substantial campaigns. Uh, and again, in, in terms of the numbers that I saw, didn't do terribly well at all. Well, with that, with that many write-ins, uh, you know, and there again, I'd, I'd like to hear uh, everyone's opinion on it, is that w what does that tell us about the established party's system bringing in candidates that people really want to see or really want to have? I mean, what, why did you have so many write-ins like that? What? Well, two, two uh, I guess when you add it all up, Three incumbents were knocked out, one in the primary and two in the general. And, um, and there were two seats where the incumbents didn't run for re-election. So I, out of the nine, there are six new members. And as I mentioned earlier, and I didn't, I didn't want to revisit the, the city council uh, election, but it, it's still... People, I think, are still reeling a little bit about the significant turnover. Two out of the three incumbents that won re-election were running unopposed on the ballot. They had write-in opposition, but no one else on the ballot. So, really, it's, it's difficult to say what would have happened in those wards, especially the ninth, had there been a serious uh, candidate on the ballot opposing the incumbent, we yeah. might have seen an almost entirely new city council. Were the write-ins the same affiliation, party affiliation? It's it's, it's um, it, it's a nonpartisan race. Yeah, it's a nonpartisan uh, race. Um, although I, I think you could say most. I predict. Uh, yeah, I, I've been doing that for years. I know that. I know who they are. Most, yeah, most most <laughs> of the people, yeah. most yeah. of the people yeah. running were probably Democrats. Yeah. Yes, which goes yeah. back to the UAW's influence over this town for decades. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on. Um, the Group of Twenty Leaders Summit ended uh, Sunday with an agreement on climate that commits its member nations to end coal financing by the end of the year and to aim to contain global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. But the final communique lacked firm pledges and failed to put an end date on the actual use of coal. It did not make any commitments to improve on issues like climate finance, paving the way for difficult negotiations at the COP26 summit in Glasgow, which kicked off in earnest uh, on Monday. In the final statement, the 20 uh, biggest world economies said they would accelerate our actions to achieve net zero emissions by or around mid-century. Leaders for the first time acknowledged officially that its members' emissions reduction plans, known as nationally determined contributions, needed to be firmed up over this decade to put them on track for net zero by 2050. Um, this piece is kind of left over from last week uh, just simply because we didn't get to everything because we were talking about the, the local election so much. But is public opinion shifting more towards support for more renewable and sustainable forms of transportation, energy, and food? Absolutely. Yeah, it does seem like it's gradually happening. And I think, the, uh, you know, as we see... Uh, you know, climate issues, whether it's 
you know, warmer, warmer uh, summers and winters and more rain and hurricanes. I think people are coming around, but and the question is, will it be quick enough or, or strong yeah. enough to really make a difference? Because so and much has got to change. And this is true among Republicans. They're, they're rising up, you know, and about uh, the, the dangers of continuous emissions of CO2. You know, Henry, I'm struck on the Republican side there that even the major corporations sometimes are almost ahead of the government on some of these things where they yes. are taking action without necessarily a government mandate, but simply on their own because they think it's either good business or, or good for the market in some ways. Um, and, you know, I, I see a lot of doom to the future, and I hope that kids will be able to work together and Americans will have governance so that uh, people can influence it and, and do the will of the people. And, and as we move further into the future, I'm concerned that the CO2 uh, that we'll be emitting from now to the end of the century will not change the conditions of our oceans because carbon dioxide is soluble in oceans and it changes the acidity of the ocean. And it changes the marine life and the wildlife and stuff like that. And some animals are very, very sensitive to pH changes, and they will die off. And uh, so we have a lot. Not only are we sinking into the oceans, but we are also acidifying it. And then we have these gases spewing out and being suppressed by the upper atmosphere and keeping our planet warm. So there are a lot of things that they need to think through real uh, with some structure and organization, you just can't go out as a genius and solve this problem. You gotta think through it and figure out how we solve the problem so that humanity will survive. You know, Henry, I saw a story within the last week or so about, uh, I think it was a Scandinavian country, that there are some devices, and that's about the best way I can describe them. You may know it better than I do that can pull out, pull the uh, CO2 out of the atmosphere in substantial quantities. And uh, they, at least in addition to reducing the output of CO2, this might be able to, to deal with the stuff that's already there and, and building up over the years. Again, I, I think don't know I saw about the same. I saw the same one. Sorry for uh, Yeah. But I think that they used uh, a sulfur sub, a substitute and, uh, to absorb the CO2. If you go back and read that article, it, there's something <coughs> else that will yeah. be kept I, 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 and, You know, sulfur is as bad as CO2 itself because when sulfur breaks down or oxidizes oh. or becomes an acid by picking up water, it becomes sulfuric acid. So it, it's a technology that probably has some, some, some possibilities, but it needs to be well understood. And that is that is the point is that the, the technologies are out there or these things are there. It's really getting the will to do it. People don't yeah. really understand that in the entire human civilization as we know it today has been has developed just in the last environmental epoch in the last thirteen thousand years since the end of the last ice age. The, the temperature has been getting warmer since. We're now reaching that point. Human beings, obviously, we are, we are obviously hurting that. 
But the issue is now for people to sit there and say, well, we need to solve this problem in 20 years, 30 years. It's not going to be solved. What we do need to do, and this is where I totally agree with what Henry just said, is that we need to start fixing some of these issues. Perhaps, I'm just saying, perhaps we don't need to build the B-21 bomber or another trillion-dollar fighter airplane that flies above the the uh, capabilities of the humans that actually are flying them right now and instead take that engineering expertise, that metallurgical expertise and start focusing on building battery technologies. We're going to need new materials. We're going to need new systems for growing orchards in, in the desert. We're going to need to be able to, we don't need get oil pipelines. We need water pipelines coming from Canada down into our place. Uh, California, just uh, Southern California just said we've, we've got a, a drought emergency that just declared it. We, we have the technology to do that. We have the brain power to do that and the intellectual capabilities to do that. But it's not going to be happening by saying, well, let's just stop the coal and let's just stop this and let's stop that. Because the other issue is how are human beings, how are, how are our citizens supposed to move from suburbia into the inner city to work? They have roads. They have cars. And there's lobbyists that make sure that all you have is roads and cars. So perhaps we're going to need, in, instead of uh, instead of lightweight uh, meta universe or this, you know whatever whatever Facebook is pushing now, perhaps we need to get high speed rail trains and uh, across the country and the networks. Perhaps we need to start investing in these technologies. To how are we going to you know people are saying well geez we'll we'll build We'll build a wall. We'll build a wall around uh, L.A. or New York or something and keep the water out. No, you won't. What's <laughs> basically going to have to happen is that New York, Wall Street, is going to have to move to the Appalachian Mountains. Mm. Um, the Los Angeles is going to have to move to uh, the Sierra Nevadas. Now, is that going to happen this year or next year? No. But those are the kind of things we need to start being, to look at. And I would suggest that the, the, the automotive in the industry, the, the oil industry, the energy industry, the, 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 the uh, defense contractors, they need to start looking at what's the, the profit potential for the next century instead of trying to focus on building, well, I mean, you know, the defense contract is a perfect example, building weapon systems that if they're ever used, don't worry, we're not going to worry, we're not going to need it. We're not going to need any technology because the human beings are going to be extinct. So, you know, the the issue is is for people. You know, well, we, you know, the the, the kids are yelling and screaming that, uh, at that uh, conference, and and the and, and I understand their frustration. But the issue is, you can't stop it tomorrow. You can't stop it next week. But there has to be some serious there's a serious look at this and say. We have got the technology. We have got 5,000 years of recorded history, and we as, as a species have had, you know, we, we've already been through uh, several very terrible, the last one completely man-made, World War II. We've, we've been through 
we've been through crises before, and we can fix, we can work on this one, and we can evolve beyond what we're still doing, because we're not going to be able to use technology that was invented basically or conceptualized in the 19th century to fix the 21st century problems. But I guess I get off my soapbox. But I, <laughs> well, I like yeah. what you said. Interesting. I mean, Very interesting. And guys, I'll just say one more thing here in 30 seconds. Do you know, remember, your body idles just like a car. A car will idle at 160 degrees, 160, 180. <clears throat> but your body takes outside fuels into your body, and it creates a stator, uh, um, a status. And that's the temperature, the average idling temperature for human beings who live is 97.8. If that changes several degrees one way or the other, our lives are threatened. That means that we, we cannot change our environment so much that it interferes with our stata of the body temperature, the average body temperature. We all have that. And that's a part of living things. That's a, that's a necessary part of living things. We've got to maintain that. And we've got to maintain the conditions that, uh, that allows us to maintain our average temperature. And I'm sure that you probably thought about it, but you haven't thought about it in these ways that kids are studying today about maintaining body temperature because it's a sign of living things. And that's characteristic of their other things too, uh, reproduction and all of that that they study. But when you begin talking about climate change, it's a very complex process. Thank you. I'll get off my soapbox and go. Well, let me let me squeeze uh, this one in because I'm I'm anxious to hear what you all think about this. Uh, Republican Representative Fred Upton on Monday shared a threatening voicemail he had received after voting for the bipartisan infrastructure bill last week. In the voicemail, which Upton played during an interview with CNN's Anderson Cooper, a caller told the Michigan Republican, "I hope you die." I hope everybody in your effing family dies and labeled him an effing piece of shit traitor. Mm. Uptown was one of just 13 House Republicans who voted with Democrats on Friday to pass the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill after hours of delays and debating among Democrats. The legislation, which passed the Senate in August, will deliver $550 billion in new federal investments in America's infrastructure over five years, including roads, bridges, mass transit, rail, airports, ports, and waterways. Following the Friday vote, Upton tweeted in part, I regret that this good bipartisan bill became a political football in recent weeks. Our country can't afford this partisan dysfunction any longer. Is this kind of behavior causing potentially good public servants to leave or avoid party politics? Oh, I think so. I think it is discouraging. I, I was glad to see that our our Congress, the Democratic congressman from this area, Dan Kelly, came up to his defense on that issue. Uh, but yeah, I say when you see that kind of stuff, not only on, in Congress, but I'm, I'm unstruck. Uh, it's local governments like school boards face you know all kind of personal attacks because of uh, masking mandates or 
other similar issues that they, they, they deal with that we had never seen before on that level. Those used to be very, very almost sedate kind of boards and things, but now all of a sudden they're, they're the, the hotbed of controversy and there have been protests in front of the homes of uh, school board members or county commissioners dealing with those kind of normally local issues. Our politics in this country have become dangerously um, problematic. You know, we, we simply um, cannot uh, sustain ourselves with this kind of divisiveness in government. Uh, you know, in the words of the framers of the Constitution, government has, has a function, and that is to provide order and structure so that we uh, can sustain ourselves in our environment. But uh, it looks as though we, as Americans here, we must depose the other side. The other side must be expunged. They have no right to live. They have no right to existence. And that's the, the, the constitutional framers did not have that in mind. They said, those who are deposed, you just wait your turn until the next election. Mm-hmm. But I don't know whether all of us are seeing that or not. It is, it is, it is uh, most distressing for me. Well, there used uh, to true. be a difference between campaigning and governing. You know, it's okay to take some shots when you're running a campaign. That's part of the fun of the horse race. But once you sit down to govern, like Bill was saying earlier about uh, about climate change and how we address that, what whatever happened to people with different points of view sitting around a table and saying, here's a list of problems that we know we have. Is it going to take money, ingenuity? What's it going to take to address these issues if it's money how much where do we get it if it's ingenuity how much where do we get it you know and and just work these things out using the different points of view the different perspectives as fuel and information and options to consider but if you go back and record the guy's remarks Oh, I I know. It's become this thing thing where you either agree with me or you're a moron. Mm -hmm. Everything is become partisan. He said you should be expunged. That's part of our culture now. I mean, that that is the whole... That's that's exactly what's happened, is that uh, you can can attack someone like that uh, just by tweeting. So that's fine. You don't know the issues. You don't know what you're talking about, but that's okay because you don't like it. Um, you know, the issue is, too, they're looking at the exact same thing that they're seeing that their leaders are doing. You have somebody stand up and say, you know, all all the uh, uh, immigrants are all rapists and criminals, you know. I mean, Really? What, you know, the, you're, you're listening to people saying, uh, oh, you know, 10-year-old girls in school are being told that because of the color of their skin, they're oppressors of, of an entire uh, racial uh, part of somebody else. I mean, these, these are the issues these people are, are doing this, and if you really look at this, this is this is how it always starts. You get a fast class 
Well, and that's and that's one of the reasons why the the headlines that I share with you often sound like the X Files. We need to take a short break here and come back with the actual X Files. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID nineteen. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues with our final segment today. Uh, each and every week, we focus on those weird and wacky stories uh, we call the X-Files to wrap up uh, each uh, weekly roundtable. Um, <laughs> the astronauts who departed the International Space Station uh, were, were stuck using diapers on the way home because of their capsule's broken toilet. <laughs> NASA astronaut Megan MacArthur described the situation Friday as suboptimal but manageable. Spaceflight is full of lots of little challenges, she said during a news conference from orbit. This is just one more that we'll encounter and take care of in our mission. So we're not too worried about it. Mission managers could decide late Friday whether to bring MacArthur and her three crewmates back in their SpaceX capsule before launching their replacements. The launch already has been delayed more than a week by bad weather and an undisclosed medical issue involving one of the crew. French astronaut Thomas Pasquet uh, told reporters that the past six months have been intense up there. The astronauts conducted a series of spacewalks to upgrade the station's power grid, endured inadvertent thruster firings by docked Russian vehicles that sent the station into brief spins, and hosted a private Russian film crew, a space station first. They also had to deal with the toilet leak, pulling up panels in their SpaceX capsule and discovering pools of urine. The problem was first noted during SpaceX's private flight in September when a tube came unglued and spilled urine beneath the floorboard. SpaceX fixed the toilet on the capsule, awaiting liftoff, but deemed the one in orbit unusable. Should the... Um, does anyone need to go to the bathroom before we leave question need to be part of the pre-flight checklist? <laughs> That's about it, yeah. Good grief. <laughs> uh, they don't have any rest areas on the way back, do they? <laughs> no, I don't think there's... Uh... <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, in, in, a zero gravity, in a zero gravity environment, I'll tell you what, that could be a really, uh, real messy problem. <laughs> yeah, it could. Um, I, I remember when uh, astronomer uh, Richard Walker and I used to talk about some of the various uh, improvements and expansions of the space station talking about, you know, uh, 
home improvement in space and it's sort of relating it to like if Tim Allen was in charge but um, the thing how far is it from the space station to earth 245 miles isn't it is that what it is about that it's well, about they, that. I, I guess they're going to need a sign that says uh, <laughs> next rest stop 245 miles. That's right. <laughs> well, here's here's a new interesting thing. Uh, robot food delivery is no longer the stuff of science fiction, but you may not see it in your neighborhood anytime soon. Hundreds of little robots knee-high and able to hold around four large pizzas are now navigating college campuses and even some city sidewalks in the U.S., the U.K., and elsewhere. While robots were being tested in limited numbers before the coronavirus hit, the companies building them say pandemic-related labor shortages and a growing preference for contactless delivery have accelerated their deployment. We saw demand for robot usage just go through the ceiling, said Alistair Westgarth, the CEO of Starship Technologies, which recently completed its two millionth delivery. I think demand was always there, but it was brought forward by the pandemic effect. Starship has more than a thousand robots in its fleet, up from just 250 in 2019. Hundreds more will be deployed soon. They're delivering food on 20 U.S. campuses. 25 more will be added soon. They're also operating on sidewalks in Milton Keynes, England, Modesto, California, and the company's hometown of Tallinn, Estonia. Robot designs vary. Some have four wheels. Some have six, for example. But generally, they use cameras, sensors, GPS, and sometimes laser scanners to navigate sidewalks and even cross streets autonomously. They move around five miles per hour. Remote operators keep tabs on multiple robots at a time, but they say they rarely need to hit the brakes or steer around an obstacle. When a robot arrives at its destination, Customers type a code into their phones to open the lid and retrieve their food. What can possibly go wrong? Hmm. I understand that um, that the DHS is asking for another uh, five hundred million dollars because of the rise of pizza hijackings. And both <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We must stop this. We must stop the robotic. <laughs> yeah. Well, Colin and, and uh, Donna Craig Brown were weeding their garden in New Zealand when Colin's hoe struck something huge just beneath the soil's surface. As the couple knelt down and began digging around the object, Colin wondered if it was some kind of strange fungal growth, a giant puffball. After Colin pried it out with his garden fork, he scratched away a bit of the skin and tasted it, a potato. We couldn't believe it, Donna said. It was just huge and not exactly pretty. Donna describes its appearance as more of an ugly mutant look, but it's quite possibly the largest potato on record. When the couple lugged it into their garage and put it on their old set of scales, it weighed in at a remarkable 17.4 pounds. That's equal to a couple sacks of regular potatoes or one small dog. <laughs> in the weeks since their unusual find, 
The couple's potato has become something of a celebrity around their small farm near Hamilton. They've named the potato Doug after the way it was unearthed, and Colin even built a small cart to tow Doug around. A more official weigh-in at a local far farming store put Doug at uh, 7.8 kilograms. The current Guinness World Records entry for the heaviest potato is a 2011 monster from Britain that weighed in at just under 5 kilograms. The couple say they've applied to Guinness to have Doug recognized and are waiting to hear back. Guinness don't didn't immediately reply to a request for an update on the application. Is this what people have in mind when they say supersize it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, don't, don't tell McDonald's about this. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Uh, you know, Tom, you're, you're, I thought these were supposed to be strange and out-of-the-way stories because uh, that story was in yesterday's New York Times picture and everything. Oh, really? Well, I, I I try to dig deep to find these, but they're not some some of the best ones. You know, are are few and far between, and a lot of them start out with a Florida man. <laughs> In fact, we have a running joke about that. But uh, we're we're just we're we're at the end of uh, the. X-Files segment and uh, wrapping up today's edition of Armchair Politics, but not before I first thank my guest earlier this morning talking with Ravi Shankar. No, not the sitar guy. This guy is a college professor, poet, and author who has uh, written a memoir called Correctional about his run-ins and uh, subsequent research into um, the criminal justice system. Pretty interesting stuff. But uh, I, I, I want to say thanks to Ravi for uh, sharing some time with me this morning. But, of course, I want to talk, uh, I want to say thank you to all of you. Bill, it was great having you along for the ride today. Bill Weiscarver. Always a pleasure. And really, uh, thanks, because I always learn something. So thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Good having you here. And, of course, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki. Paul, it's always oh, a treat. Always good to be here. And, uh, and Henry, it was good to have you back. Well, thank you, Tom. I made one mistake today, and I'd like to rectify that. Today is Indigenous Peoples Day. That's why it's so prominent on the calendars, and the kids are off to school and stuff like that. But I thought they were celebrating uh, the well, problems I dealing with, uh, with, with the statues, tearing down the statues and stuff like that. But uh, I apologize for that. And, and tomorrow that. Is, uh, is Veterans Day. We That's have right. some interesting stuff. Uh, yes. Thank you. Well, they just, they, they just uh, canceled the Veterans Parade in Austin, Texas. They, they did. They couldn't. Yes, they did, because they couldn't verify that 30,000 people were going to be vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> True story. I, yeah, yeah, and it's appropriate for the to end on that note. Um, thanks, everybody, and that's uh, Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but uh, I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, good night, everybody. Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.